Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The sweet spot of Arizona weather, and you have a very, very nice outside patio, an outside area where you're standing around. Agents are coming and going. Executives are scurrying around, maybe to meetings or something like that. So you have all that, but that's pretty much it. Until you get to the part where you have built-in availability for whatever you want to call it, the GMs, President of Baseball Operations, Chief Decision Makers of every team. So on Tuesday, that was at 3 o'clock Arizona time or Scottsdale time, and it was outside and out in this little courtyard area, and so the, the executives are standing there, and the media gets to talk to them for, I don't know, about an hour, just about an hour or so. But it's definitely a worthwhile exercise, as usually is the case with any time you have that sort of dynamic where athletes or players or exactly whoever it is are are built in to talk during a certain time, and you just have access to them coming and going, going to the people you want to talk to, and you don't have to chase them down or anything like that. So that's what happened at three. Now, uh, I should know. It was a big day of interviews for Baseballs and Boring. We had Troy's story, which is being dropped a little bit later. Um, last one of the Arizona Fall League, uh, Christopher Troy, who was making his his swung song for the Arizona Fall League. That's very exciting. We're hoping the Baseballs and Boring can get over there and watch it live. We did this interview live, so that started our day going over to where the Arizona Fall League guys were to do in-person with CT. Uh, and then later in the day, we had a great conversation uh, with Dylan Cease, obviously the Chicago White Sox. Uh, our, our guy, Reese Green, also joined. Paul, one of the best, or the best, Frisbee golf player or disc golf players in the world, joined us, along with Dylan, to talk about that. So we have all that come. So it was a wild day. Baseball's been boring. But in the heart of it, in the meat and potatoes of it, it was, it was the availability for the GMs. So we got some good stuff. We got Derek Falvey talking about what it's like to trade, pulling the trigger on trades. Also, like some talk about a lot of talk about Craig Breslow there, 
about his integration into his new role as chief baseball officer of the Red Sox. A lot of talk about that. So Falvey talked about that. Chris Young talked about that. Chris Young, of course, the correlation with with Craig Breslow, former player, what that dynamic's like. Um, David Forrest of the of the A's talked to him about that. Also talked to him about the evolution of Sonny Gray. So all of that, we got all that. I'm going to give that all on this podcast right now. But the guy who stole the show was Yankees Jim Brian Cashman. I mean, he just—that's it. Everyone was talking about this. Most of these guys, certainly when you come to talk about free agents, you, you can't just go up and ask, hey, are you going to sign Shohei Atani? They're going to all say the same thing, which is we can't talk about free agents, specific free agents. That's how it works. But Brian Cashman had some things to get off his chest. It was, it was man, it was something. It was something. There was a lot of talk about the Yankees and their reliance on analytics and, and all of that. Like, making moves, not making moves, their line life. Well, I'm going to give you about 10 minutes of Brian Cash to kick things off because I really, there's no other way around it, man. Like, he stole the show. He stole the show. Like it or not, like, it was the most entertaining part of the GM meetings. So let's kick things off with Brian Cashman, and then we'll get to the other guys. You mentioned injuries, which are largely out of your control, but is there anything that needs to change and will change on the process side? Oh, we're always looking to improve on process. So last year, like last year, uh, everybody thought that, well, first and foremost on the analytics, I want to make sure, you know, and I think it's been put out there. So people talk about we're analytically driven, right? (laughs) Do you know where the sec, uh, the, the least large, we have the smallest analytics department in the American League East. Is that a shocker to you guys? We have the largest pro scouting department in all of baseball. Is that a shocker to you to everybody? Shouldn't be. But no one's doing their deep dives. They're just throwing ammunition and and and, and bullshit and uh, accusing us of being run analytically. Analytics is an important spoke in our wheel, but it, it should be in everybody's wheel, and it really is is an important spoke in every operation that's having success. There's not one team that's not using it. We're, we're no different. Uh, but to be said, we're guided by analytics as a driver. It's a lie, but that's what people want to say. I know I can't change that narrative. All I can continue to do is say bullshit, not true. But I will, you know, guarantee it's important, and it, we utilize it along with our pro scouting opinions, along with our amateur scouting opinions. And yeah, sometimes we do better than, and sometimes we do worse with some of our decisions. Sometimes they don't work out, but that's also part of the process. And we've had obviously our fair share in the more recent two seasons that haven't worked out. So do well, you some think of the you're cases, doing something <clears throat> in some of the different cases, and more poorly? I wouldn't say different. No, we're trying. One of the things we're victimized, in my opinion, is we're trying to go for it, right? We've got to, like, so back when we gutted the team on that year where I felt the team wasn't good enough and we traded a lot of veterans, got a lot of prospects to build back and, and we created a whole new window, right? And that window is still open. Doesn't mean it's open big time and it, you know, obviously with every year there's a little attrition, it closes, your competition gets a little better with the way the system's all set up that takes the good teams from the high end, it drags them down, it takes the bad teams and drags them up with the draft picks and the international signings and all that stuff. We all know that. So, so as we've been fighting to keep that window open, and we're fighting to get into the postseason and take our shot. So, for instance, Montas, you know, when we were unable to get Castillo that year, you know, we felt the second best pitcher in the market was Montas. It was a limited market. We market, we went, we went in, we got his medicals, we looked at him, we, we, we were scouting him. He broke. He broke. 
<laughs> there was nothing in the medicals that said he had a bad shoulder at that point. It was actually cleaner than we thought. I've already spoken to this publicly. He broke. And then when he went and saw three different doctors, they said it wasn't going to need the surgery. He still broke and he still needed the surgery. So you know what? It sucked. It's a bad situation. If that's, a, if that's something that you want me to say that was a mistake, it turned out to be a mistake. I'm not sure what else in the process we could have done other than if I time-zoned it back and knew what was going to happen despite all doctors all, and they're, they're all the experts. You know, we didn't have access to a player that's a pretty good pitcher. Now he's a free agent. You know, he's going to sign a contract, whether it's here or somewhere else. And I guarantee he'll probably shove again. You know? and so, but bad timing. I, I don't know what else to tell you, but but if, that, if you want me to say it turned out to be a bad move, it was a bad move, but, you know? And so I wish I could avoid those situations. If I could turn back and say, hey, man, I am sorry that we acquired Joey Gallo and he didn't play well for us. Yeah, I'm sorry he didn't play well for us, but it wasn't because he didn't try. It wasn't because we didn't, you know, I, I, I don't know. It was a limited market. We're trying to win. We need a left-handed bat, and he was the one guy I could get that actually fit the bill. You know, it is what it is. Otherwise, I mean, you know, I don't know what to tell you. I don't have an answer for it. The transactions. For two decades, your transactions were very good. The last three years, they have not been as good. You said you're doing self-reflection. What do you What do you think? Well, I get a kick out. I get a kick out of like Joey Gallo gets named on. But since Joey Gallo left us, who's picked him up? Two playoff teams. The Dodgers traded for us. Traded for us, and then the Twins, who just made the playoffs. Or Sonny Gray. He's currently in the competition for for uh, a Cy Young award, right? So I'm, I'm getting. I'm, it's interesting how they get written about these players. I get it because whether they can play in New York or not, which is always a difficult thing. I don't care what anybody says. It's not easy to determine who can. Until ultimately, especially with the amount of available player talent that you have, that's that's at your disposal lately in the last. Because I do believe, like, whether it's the last trade deadline, which was I thought the worst in terms of opportunities that existed since I've been GM, you know, in terms of trying to go to marketplace to pull down this, that, or whatever, I feel like there's not as many choices over the coming. These aren't complaints. These are just my facts. And so you have to make decisions. You try to engage people. You know, uh, I, I feel like we got to adjudicate the Joey Gallo decision over and over again. We went all in. We were out of balance. We needed a left-handed bat. It was a very limited market. I had a guy that played with him on our roster at the time, um, the, the infielder that we got from yeah, Odor, hey man, what's he like? Can he play in New York? I think he'd be great here. He can handle it, blah, blah, blah. We do the cross check. We talk to as many people as you can. You make a decision. Then you live with it. Didn't work out. But since that time, the Dodgers wanted them. And since that time, the Twins wanted them. So I get a kick out of how all of a sudden, you, you know, it's decisions about players that are having, that are really good Major League Baseball players or, or potentially you know, helpful Major League Baseball players, and that we're dumb for getting them, and other people, obviously, they're, they're not dumb. And I'm, bottom line, it just comes down to winning and losing, and that's what this is all about. We lost way too many games than we should have lost last year. That's my fault. I'm responsible as the baseball operations GM. If the owner wants to tag me out anytime, he clearly can do that. Um, he demanded us to do self-reflection. My job in a leadership position is always to, to determine, you know, and I think the good leaders, because as I referenced earlier in the 80s, the good leaders decide to separate what's real versus not real. We've lost a lot of good baseball people along the way. I know people want change just for change's sake. Well, I remember seeing great people walking in and out of this place, like Pat Gillick and before I got here, or Dick Hauser or Lou Pinello or you know all these guys because of impatience. I think we have good baseball people. 
whether they're pro scouts, whether they're coaches, whether they're the manager, whether they're the general manager, uh, whether they're um, analytics guys, I think we have good people. I'm getting permission requests all over the place. We just lost our bench coach to the Mets as a manager. Uh, I've got analytics guys trying to be poached to other clubs right now. <coughs> um, our player development program, no different than other places. But again, reinforcement that we got good people. I'm proud of our people and I'm, I'm proud of our process. Doesn't mean we're firing all cylinders, doesn't mean we're the best in class, but I think we're pretty f good personally. And uh, I'm proud of our people and I'm also looking forward to 24 being a better year than 23. What areas do you want to shore up at this point? We need two outfielders because of Jason Dominguez um, being hurt now. You know, obviously, you know, that, that doesn't help. So now I need a center fielder. I need a left fielder, um, preferably left-handed. You know, if that's always look for trying to reinforce our pitching. You know, we have infield uh, surplus. You know, do you find a, try to find a lane to get Peraza involved? Or, or uh, I'm sure people will try to prey on that. You know, we have Glaber Torres in the last year of his contract. He was had a hell of a year. He was our second-best hitter last year, obviously behind Judge. And got to get Stanton up and running again, you know, and hopefully, you know, this past year. Because the one thing he was – He's injury prone. We all have lived and known that, but he's never not hit when he's playing. And uh, and this year is the first time that that's happened. So, um, you know, hopefully, you know, find a, you know, Lemayu. Clearly, uh, in the last uh, two months, I felt like started to feel like his old self. He was able to unpack some things with our uh, strength and conditioning side. I think the previous um, winter, he wasn't able to do as much that he could because of the foot and having to give it the time to heal and. So it's probably, you know, created a hangover into the season more than we expected. Um, but I think he found a better spot towards the end. So hopefully we can count on him as we move forward. And, you know, I know our players are embarrassed. I know we're embarrassed and we want to find a way to fight through it. But that doesn't mean these players aren't good. And that doesn't mean that we don't have a chance to make it better. More pitching. Always pitching. Always. All right. Like that was, that was something. That was something. So there you have Brian Cashman. Now, I talked about some of the other guys that went up and talked to. One of them was Derek Falvey of the Twins. And we've had Derek on the podcast before, and he was really, really good. And it's he's got a good personality. It's like it's just, you know, it's just a good conversation. And in this case, a couple things we had the conversation about. First, he was already sort of in midstream about talking about Craig Breslow and that dynamic when you're new uh, head guy for an organization, you get dropped in an organization. What is that like drinking from the fire hose a little bit? And, you know, okay, you know, so he got that dynamic. But I was interested for a guy who made, a, like, obviously one of the most noteworthy, they'll call it one-for-one -one trade for all basically intent and purposes, Pablo Reyes and Luis Arise, that deal, what it's like. Like, what it's like to pull the trigger on a trade. And I thought he was so good talking about this. So anyway, here's Derek Falvey uh, talking about those things. My experience for this was was we played Game 7 of the World Series in Cleveland. We lost. The next day, I flew to Minnesota, got introduced, and then the, that same day, I, or the next day after that, I flew here. No GM meeting. So it all happened super fast. And I think if, if I remember... Well, I'm trying to remember exactly what that felt like, but it was going really fast yep. at that time. And much like I just said about David, I think the best thing you can do is try and slow that down. And that's about leaning on the people around you. That's about the staff you already have. And I know that in Craig's case and BOH and Eddie and Raquel and others who are yep. here, they've been through this before, right? They've gone through all of this and he's going to have a lot of resources around him. The key is to lean into those resources and to find the right leaders to help you navigate those. Because when you try and do it all yourself, 
forget about it. You're never gonna you're never gonna be able to survive. So I think he's gonna have to lean into the staff and the team that he already has, which is well established and already has a ton of experience. Um, how much of an advantage will it be in time in relating to the clubhouse his player background? How much? Does that get him maybe immediate buy-in with some of those guys? I, th- I think what it probably does, and you know, not knowing this perfectly, but what it probably does is it gets you that more immediate buy-in now, right? Like right when you call the player, that, that player at least knows on the other side that you've been there. I think that for others who walk into a new situation, I'll speak for my own experience. When I walked into Minnesota, none of those guys even knew me, right? It would be one thing if I was taking over in Cleveland where I knew those guys and sure. I had built the relationships in the clubhouse and I was with Tito every day and there were all those conversations. But when you walk in, I think the key is to... So I think one of the built-in advantages that he hopefully has is he can actually say to them, hey, I've been here before. Like, I've been in this environment before and I, I know, I kind of know what you're going through. The flip side, though, that I've heard, and this is talking to CY a little bit about it, is you don't want to overdo that. You don't want to say, oh, I know exactly what you're going through because I was there because your experience is different than my experience. And so I think that that's, that's going to be the balance for him. Do you, uh, do you view the... Uh, looking ahead do you view the council deal as an outlier or are we going to start seeing managers be paid bigger deals yeah i mean you know i I think that obviously when um when i heard what i heard yesterday and going through it all i think much like in a player dynamic you know and in a a dynamic in the in other markets free markets you know ultimately um craig pursued free agency you know so to speak and we just aren't as like comfortable with talking about that i think in GM roles or manager roles or coaching roles, but it's happened before. You know, it's certainly happened in other... We've had positions on our own staff where guys have gone either to college or to other, whether it's minor league staff or major league staff, to different roles, um, and that's everyone's right. So I think that... I don't think of it in the context of anything that it signals big picture. I just think it's it's something that he pursued, and obviously Craig is incredibly well-respected. I met him, actually. The first time I think I spent any time with him was David Stearns' wedding. And so, you know, he's obviously a very well-respected guy, and I wish him all the best in Chicago. Um, now, um, so trades. So when did it – everyone wants to win a trade, right? Yeah. But getting past the I want to win the trade by a lot yeah. compared to – like I mean, like we, I've talked to you and Pat, like you've made some really like tough trades. Yeah. But when does that – is that a hard thing to get past – you know, when you like, hey, listen, I'm, I might not win this trade, but I might win 49% of it. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I When I think back to, obviously, the one everyone wants to talk about in our market is the Pablo Louis Arias trade, right? And I know that when, and why those trades don't happen very often is because when a player is established already at the big league level and is loved by your fans and is already part of your environment, that everyone knows him. Or, you know, it's, it's a little different when it's a prospect that might be part of the future and he gets yeah. traded out. You could get burned just as badly on that trade as the other trade, of course. But I think the point is, if you constantly work from a place of fear when you trade, I don't think you're ever going to take a risk that might make you a lot better. Now, you may fail sometimes, and that's part of the job. That's what you sign up for. But I think for what I've gotten comfortable with over now seven, going on eight years doing this, is you have to recognize there is risk in everything you do. And you have to just decide. Are you willing to take that risk? And if you don't take that risk, sometimes you're going to miss on some upside. Sometimes you're going to fail and end up on the wrong side of it. I've been on the wrong side of trades too, but ultimately you hope you win, as you said, whether it's 49%. You want to win more than that, right? You hope you're on the plus side most of the time. I think sometimes the easiest time to trade, and this isn't, I wouldn't say easy, it's not fun, but when you're at the deadline and you're not doing as well, 
and you're clearly more in maybe a sell mode, then it's you're trying to do the best you can for your future. That's a little bit cleaner. Everything else is a lot more complex. And how long did it take you to, you just said, you've learned, oh, like, how long did it take you? A like, few years. Yeah, I yeah. would say it, it, it was not something um, I was particularly comfortable with. Because, well, here's the, here's the difference. In my experience in Cleveland over the years, when you're in the number two or number three or number four or number five seat, whatever number you want to put on, whatever job you're doing, you're recommending that to somebody, right? So at the time, recommending it to Mark Spiro, then to Chris Antonetti over time. Now, I cared about it. I mean, it's not like I didn't go home worrying whether or not this was going to work out for us. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, when you finally shift into that seat and it's your responsibility and it's you, it does change. I don't know how to describe that exactly, but it does, you feel it differently. And so then you don't sleep. Then you think about it. Then you're worried about it. Then you you know, you know you have to answer questions about it. So, But if you if you think about that part of the equation, you'll never make a trade. Have a bad, you'll have, paralyze yourself. <laughs> Right? They have a bad spring training. You're like, oh, no. Exactly. Right? And then there's, you know, and you guys have to do your jobs and write that they aren't good right now. And that's part of the deal. But I think that you have to you have to find a way to just not put blinders on. It's probably a bad way to describe it. It's just you have to say, what's our process? Why are we doing it? What What are the reasons? I know this is hard. Okay, this is the right decision to make. Let's do it. And learn, knowing when to pull the trigger on it, I think is something you learn with experience. Really? I would never have been like... My first couple of years, you, just, you miss on some because you're waiting too long, hmm. you know, and you're still trying to vet more of the market, and you want to make sure you're not missing on. Well, there might be one other deal we can do with this player mm-hmm. that I haven't vetted yet, and yeah. so, and you you start to understand the cadence of when a team's ready to go, and press go too, and then you sometimes can run it to, yeah, to the I mean, end quickly. It's talking to actually John Daniels about that. He said early on, mm. he said he waited. It was, it was the Beckett Lowell trade. Oh, interesting. And he said two, he's like, he waited two days because he just wanted to make sure everything, and in the meantime, the Red yep. Sox swept in. That, you know? that that has happened before for yeah. me. And I don't have anything that glaring, you know, in terms of a big trade, but I've had these small examples in my career where it felt like we were about to trade for a reliever, and then he's gone. Yeah. You know, and you're like, oh, okay, well, all right, now I learned that lesson. That's what that's what experience provides. Yeah, yeah. A little right. bit of that cadence. Yeah. All right, thank you. You got it, man. Appreciate it. All right. We can't go through all the G meetings without giving the honor of interviewing Chris Young because he won the World Series. Won the World Series. You can tell still a glow about him. No question about it. So talked a lot about some of us got together with him and talked about that, the dynamic that we're saying, the importance of being a former player in a front office and how that helps. I mean, because we can talk about it, we can guess about it, we can say all this stuff, but until you hear it from the guy having gone through it for a full year and winning the World Series, it, it doesn't really hit. So here you go. Here's Chris Young. Yeah, well, first of all, I think Craig's going to be tremendous. He's a unbelievably bright mind and um, understands the game, understands people. I think he'll do uh, wonderful uh, things in Boston, and so I'm very happy for him. Um, you know, I, I can't speak to the non-player perspective because it's all I know. So I, I just, um, having lived it um, in professional baseball uh, for a number of years and in the major league dugout, um, just have a great appreciation and understanding of what players go through, how their minds work, um, what they need, um, how to help them realize their dreams and uh, be the best they can be. And um whether or not that's an advantage, I can't say. Uh, there's a lot of things I don't know about the job that I didn't learn coming up through a front office, uh, but um, I, I do understand the ins and outs of a dugout and a, a clubhouse and um, you know, try to utilize that 
um, to the best of my ability to help us um, be a winning organization. Do you think it gives you like a more immediate buy-in with players? You know what it's like to be traded, to be a free agent, to get released. Yeah, but you know, I don't all think those I, things. I don't think you have to. Maybe, maybe instantly, but I don't think that that's what players. Um, it's the first time you violate that, you've lost that trust and that credibility. So I don't think that really um, matters. I think it's your ability to just connect and, and be honest and authentic and transparent and forthcoming. And I think players appreciate that, as do most people in life. Um, that's all they want. As you're gathering opinions about what the Rangers should do, do you go to players sometimes? Oh, absolutely. They've got a unique perspective. I try to take in as much information from as many people as possible, um, whether it's our our scouts, our front office, our coaches, our players, our trainers, our clubhouse guys. Um, absolutely, I love hearing different people's perspectives, and um, you know, you learn a lot from from all those conversations. You and Craig never actually were on the same field together, I don't think, right? Well, I think we played against each other in the big leagues. I mean, oh, we played. Yeah. Sorry, I meant college. No, I don't think. It, well, I don't. He was oh two. two. So we're the same year. So we were on the same field. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it would have been. I only played two years. So my freshman sophomore year, we were. We would have been out there together, yeah. There's different times of the year where what we're talking about comes into play, including middle of the year, trade deadline. Uh When going through it now, how much did that factor in, knowing how important it is to say, okay, guys, go get them? You've got to make the right deal, obviously, but how much did that factor in having that experience? Well, I think it's a big part of it, and I um, am careful to say that just by adding that that's going to be the main difference because – when you add, you also have to subtract somebody from that clubhouse, and uh, there's always a risk involved when you take away from a clubhouse as well. So um, there's a balance, um, but ultimately uh, it's our job to try to give these guys every resource possible to win. And um, you know, we felt like this year at the deadline the team deserved that opportunity, and it was our jobs to try to um, improve the club in a way that would allow them to go compete in the playoffs, and uh, and it all worked out for us. Did it, did it feel, like in hindsight, did it feel like, okay, you know, you know, obviously every move isn't going to be exactly how you envisioned, mm-hmm. but it did, did it feel like you had hoped it would in terms of how the clubhouse received it and how the team went well, from there? Well, I think, I think um, if I'm not mistaken, we made the first two trades and we lost the next two days. So it wasn't the immediate impact, but uh, we came back home and I think won eight in a row after that. And that was sort of the, um, the boost that I had hoped it would give the club. And... Uh, you know, but we had our we had our uh, our challenges in the second half and a lot of injuries. But the club stick, uh, stuck together and they never gave up. Um, they were unwavering in their belief that um, you know they could win together. And uh, everybody got healthy at the right time. The club came together at the right time, and um, it's a historic season because of that. Does it feel? I mean, as you sit here, does it feel like you thought it would feel when you were envisioning? Um, hey, in a couple <laughs> in a couple of weeks, I'm going to be sitting at the GM meetings and. No, I, I hadn't really thought of it. What what really hit me was the parade when I saw all of our fans out celebrating uh, a team that they had waited for, you know, what felt like forever for them uh, to celebrate a championship. It was just pretty special to see everybody out there and just to see how touching it is to people's lives. Um, that's what this game's about is uh, giving people a, a form of entertainment and touching their lives and um, to see what happened in Texas and our community. Um how much joy it brought to people is really special. I'll never get over that. That's pretty awesome. You might have already been asked this, but just uh, when you when you took over the job, obviously, um, like Breslow, sort of a limited you know front office experience. Uh-huh. Just curious, 
like uh, if there's a piece of advice or something along those lines that you would uh, you would give to him or um, yeah suggest for him as, as someone kind of taking over in a similar kind of um, yeah I think the main advice is just it's really one day at a time and um, don't worry about it's an it's a <laughs> immense job the job is very big but um, you can't do it all at once. You can't be great at every aspect of it. So one day at a time and just um, try to really prioritize and think about um, what the main areas of focus are each day and just continue to make good decision after good decision. Um, in time, you'll uh, be in a good spot. Obviously, you're relying when you're kind of new on the job so much on the existing people around you to kind of get yeah. up to speed. Like, when do you feel like you sort of started to have a good grasp of kind of the organization and, yeah? Um... You know, I had a little bit of it coming in just um, from having worked at Major League Baseball and exposure to the organization. And then, um, you know, probably a good six months. I mean, you're, you know, when I came in, I felt like I was a consultant for six months of really studying the organization, learning the personnel, the people, and um, evaluating different areas, what was functioning, what wasn't. And um, at that point, was able to kind of reassess some things and um, find ways that we could move forward and improve. And uh, But it takes a little bit of time. But... Um, you know, but that's that's part of it. All right. Well, the guy who, like we said, there's no right way around it. A lot of guy, a guy everyone was talking about there was Breslow. He's one of the new guys. He's also a unique position, former player being dropped in that position. Uh, and Forrest, who had him with the A's, you know, he had some some interesting things to say about Breslow. And in this conversation with David Forrest. I also wanted to touch on Sonny Gray, as you're going to hear me mention. I remember back, I think it was the 2015, 2016 GM meetings. He was always asked about Sonny Gray, about... It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. The interest, teams wanting to trade for him. And now we sit here and Sonny Gray is one of the most noteworthy free agents on the market. And he's landed at a pretty good place in his mid-30s. So... Here you go. Here you go, David Force. Thoughts? I'm really happy for Craig. I mean, obviously, I, I, I don't know when he was a player with us that this was necessarily on his mind, this path, but I think as soon as he was hired by the Cubs in that capacity, I, I think everybody thought it was a possibility because of uh, how intelligent he is, his experiences as a player, and, and the way uh, the job is going. So is he one of these guys, it's like a cliche question, but you see him and like, oh, either he's going to be a molecular biophysics <laughs> or he's going to be a GM. Or How did you view him at the time, just as a really smart baseball player? I mean, he was really smart. I think I, at the time he was with us, I still bought into the narrative that he was just putting medical school off to pursue a major league career. So, um, But again, as, as he sort of went through his, the end of his playing days and working with the Cubs, it was clear this was something he was going to you know, have the opportunity to do, and I, I have no doubt he's going to be very good at it. How much you t- we talked about the, the player 
executive dynamic, yeah. right? And we just talked to Chris Young about this. It's there's no right or wrong, right. but there are different challenges for each, right? If if you're not coming from a clubhouse, you have to learn the clubhouse. If you are coming from a clubhouse, you have to learn the other side of it. What's your perspective of that, having gone through it for these years? Yeah, you're right. I, I think no matter where you come from, you have gaps to fill. I I came up under Billy who had been a player, had been in the clubhouse, and I uh, was able to sit back and look at how he handled himself both downstairs and in the office, so to speak, and figure out where I fit. I mean, I think if you're Craig and you've got the credibility of uh, being in the clubhouse, I think that's the easy part for you. He, he was teammates with the manager, if I'm not incorrect. So yeah, yes. I think that part will come easy, and, and then he'll, you know, he'll take his experiences with the Cubs and learn what it means to interact with other executives and learn the office part of it. Then, and the clubhouse dynamic, like when you make a trade or when you make a move and understanding the impact that has. Yeah. I don't know like if that's something that as you were coming up with Billy, if you saw that, because there just have been some that they really, really struggle with that. Uh, so sure. we see the numbers, we see the analytics, this is going to work out, and then it goes the other way. Like when did that hit for you? Was there an example of it or... I think the bottom line is just being empathetic towards everyone's situation and certainly having never been a major league player myself, I think it's important to try and understand the player's situation when you're dealing with that and, and you know, knowing what they go through um, and they're not, you know, they're not numbers on a page or names in a box score, they're people mm -hmm. and uh, I think I've learned a lot, whether it's from Billy or our managers and coaches over the years, certainly Bob was outstanding at that and and I think it's one of Mark's real strength is being able to empathize with the players in the clubhouse and I've tried to, to learn as much as I can from that. All right so I had mentioned 2015 mm -hmm. uh, Sonny Gray you know I, for years he was like you know like are you going to trade Sonny Gray that sort of thing. Yeah. I'm just curious from your perspective watching him pitch this year like how how he's changed maybe or how he hasn't changed like what is the things that made him so successful this year when you watch him? I, I'm, more than anything, I'm just happy for Sonny that he, he's had the success. Obviously, when he left the A's and went to the Yankees, there was still some question about whether he was going, I guess, to reach his potential. Maybe that's not fair. He had obviously had a good career up until that point with the A's, but New York was not a good fit. And moving on to Cincinnati and Minnesota, I'm happy that he's found the right people to work with, been able to be comfortable, and it's you know, just knowing him as a person, knowing his family, I'm I'm happy that he found the success he did in Minnesota. As a pitcher, you know, everyone evolves. How do you see him having evolved? Because he was, when you had him, he was a young guy, right? He, he was, but the stuff is not that different. I mean, yeah. he had the breaking ball, he had the arsenal when he was with us. I, I think, particularly for pitchers, I think sometimes it takes a little longer to, to figure it out. And then once you do figure it out, you have to make adjustments because hitters will adjust to you. So it's not unique to Sonny, but he's obviously done a really good job of making those adjustments. All right, the last one, I wanted to talk about a little bit of a geeky thing, but it's important to find out where sort of GMs land on this, which is the third time through a batting order. And Craig Breslow obviously was a guy with the Cubs who, you know, had a huge, huge hand in all their pitching evolution and decisions and all of that. So he was a good guy. You know, we talked to Craig about his first day of the GM meetings, and you can go back and we posted that audio uh, on Monday. But 
This one, I just wanted to ask him the, the very specific question about what his thoughts were about pitching third time through the order. And I think that it's, it's, it's pretty interesting. It's always good to have smart people talk about uh, smart conversations. At least I thought it was a smart conversation. All right. I hope everybody enjoyed this podcast. Rate, review, subscribe. At BB isn't boring. At BB isn't boring. FanDuel.com slash boring. Let's wrap it up. Here's Craig Breslow talking about the always sexy conversation. Third time through the order. Your overall perspective of, of pitching into the third time in the order and how has it changed since you played? Yeah, so I think how it's changed is that uh, teams are far better at quantifying the penalty that you would want to assess to pitchers who are seeing hitters multiple times. Uh, I think my big picture response is, you know, I look at the job of the of the front office to provide the field staff with as much information as we possibly can to allow them to make the best decisions they can. As it relates to a starting pitcher, I mean, to me, you know, the question is, how does the starting pitcher in the game facing hit, facing a lineup for the third time, uh, you know, compare to available alternatives in the bullpen? And I think a fairly unassailable comment would be, we want the best available option in the game when it matters the most and sometimes that will be a starting pitcher even with uh you know kind of assigning a penalty for times through the order and sometimes that will be a fresh reliever so some some starters are have a better mindset have better results doing it right Mm -hmm. it's almost like some in in this world of baseball feels like when a guy gets third time for the order, they're like, oh, wait, I'm, I'm here. Like, But I think Stroman had really good numbers third time of the order. So does that factor in as well? I think it has to. Yeah. Right? I mean, I, I, again, you know, I think the way that most uh, in-game decisions are made in terms of, you know, who is the right reliever to bring in is say, like, okay, these are the available relievers tonight. These are how we would kind of forecast their matchups, and this is the right guy to bring in. And, you know, that's obviously information that, that Alex and his staff are going to make during the game. Um but if, you know, a pitcher who gets dinged for, you know, seeing the lineup for the third time is still a better, better alternative than what you have available in the bullpen, I think it would be silly to make that change. When you look at free agent pitchers or pitchers you want to acquire, I know everybody's different. Is that something that you factor in? Uh, I mean, I think, you know, that, that tends to just kind of manifest in, in bulk. And, you know, at the end, of the, at the, end yeah. of the day, you can kind of look at the innings that someone's logging and make pretty fair uh, conclusions about how many times they're facing the order. Um, and so, you know, bulk is something that's incredibly valuable. Uh, you know, we're, we're constrained by roster limits. And if we can have, you know, the, the fewer number of guys it takes to, to throw the greatest number of innings, it's really valuable. Do you buy my thing about, like, the pitchers are almost surprised when they get there? Now, compared to, like, again, I hate, I hate to keep coming back to compared to when you play, Craig. <laughs> Uh, I think that's all about the expectations that are set beforehand, right? Like, I think if, you know, if if you are having conversations about workload and you're talking to your your pitchers and the pitching coach and manager are doing a great job of... um, you know, of, of communicating expectations, it shouldn't be a surprise. Uh, you know, in the same way, it shouldn't be a surprise if you're calling on your closer in the seventh inning one night. Yeah. Um, and if you haven't had that conversation beforehand, you can bet it would be a surprise. But if you have, then I think that's how you mitigate that. In celebration of opening day, we've got a special episode of the Moth Podcast for you. The theme is baseball and the surprising ways it connects people. I gaze out at the players on the field and then I... Uh 
I look over at my dad and I, I realize that in the silence between us that something has changed. It's like I'm seeing him for the first time. Two stories about baseball, family, and so much more. The episode's available right now. Subscribe to The Moth Podcast to make sure you hear it.